This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 69, recorded on April 24th, 2017. I am your host, Matt Lyons, and on this week's episode, we're going to look back at an almost perfect road trip. We'll talk about Francisco Lindor's contract situation. Uh, we'll talk about a recent, really interesting post from Jordan Bastian about uh, launch angles and who believes in them and who kind of doesn't. Uh, we'll preview the Houston Astros with Crawfish Box's managing editor, Ryan Dunsmore. And we'll answer your questions. But before we get into all that, uh, I want to thank anybody listening live now on Facebook or wherever you're tuning in, uh, whether you're listening, I guess, <laughs> if you're live, it's only on Facebook, but if you're living on a podcast, wherever you are, um, thank you. Please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you might listen to podcasts and consider leaving a review. Uh, our newest, we actually got one on iTunes, finally, uh, comes from TVZ Fan, who said, my favorite Indians podcast so far. I look forward to not only Matt and Jason's take on the tribe every week, but also some of the great guests they bring on to add depth to their analysis. The production could use a little polishing, but that is all holding me back from giving it five stars. So thank you, TVZ fan. Um, the polishing, I edit it, but I'm going to go ahead and blame Jason. I'm going to say it's all his fault. And, and rightfully so. I'm going to take the blame for that one. <laughs> Jason, he, once he's done, he's done. I, do, I ruin all the audio and everything. It's all me, but I'm going to blame Jason anyway. So, so you ruined who's the guest this week, Jason. It's you. Um, joining me as always to talk Indians, it's Jason Lucar. Jason, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing better than some Cleveland sports fans. Yesterday afternoon, like mere minutes after the Cavs finished sweeping the Pacers in the first round, Indians had won five games in a row. And right around that time, the Indians got guys on second and third with nobody out, bases loaded, Lindor's up, struck out. And I saw multiple people in my Twitter feed complaining about it. And it's like, come on, people. Five-game winning streak. Your basketball team just swept. Like, you can't – you have to find something to complain about. I have no complaints about the Cleveland sports scene right now because I don't acknowledge the existence of a football team. I'm doing well. Yeah, and I mean, if you do acknowledge the existence of that particular team, they're in the offseason. All we're hearing about is draft picks. So – so yes, if you like Cleveland sports, you should be happy right now. And if you're not, you're just just stop. You should be. <laughs> I, I do imagine if you only watch the Cavs though, and you decide to flip over to the Indians, not knowing the context, seeing that game probably wouldn't be too fun because that was a really awful game. Yeah, but if you didn't know the context, you should. You're not invested enough that you should care that much one way or another. That's true. But I mean, when, when has that ever stopped anybody from just yelling things on Twitter? Well, <laughs> never. But. <laughs> So let's talk about those games. Uh, the Indians went 5-1 and one against the Twins and White Sox. Not necessarily the greatest competition in the world, but it's also the same. Well, the White Sox is one of the teams that they struggled against, and people were freaking out about that. So now that they've won a few games, and they looked really good doing it. Uh, Jason, what are your, what's one thought you had watching the Indians in this last week? My big takeaway, and I know you're aware of it because you wrote about him yesterday. Uh, I've talked about Michael Brantley looking shaky. Uh, Michael Brantley looked like Michael Brantley last week. His numbers for the week were really, really good. Batted something close to 400 with a couple home runs, um, some other extra base hits. Uh, and he just, he looked better to me. Uh, so I'm going to say he's totally cured. The first couple of weeks were just shaking off the rust, and I'm sure we'll never have any problems from Michael Brantley again. <laughs> 30 home runs, uh, never going to strike out again. That's just going to be a season's right? <laughs> how much of that was a joke and how much was serious? Yeah. I don't think we're going to have to worry I mean, about anymore. You know, he'll slump at some point. He'll fall back off. I still don't think, you know, 2014 Michael Brantley uh, is ever coming back. But he did look really, really good. Uh, and, you know, there were a couple other guys in the lineup. You know, Lindor and Ramirez, especially the first couple of weeks, were kind of carrying the offense. Um, and Michael Brantley outhit anyone. Uh, and, the, you know, other guys... Edwin Encarnacion had been off to a slow start, and he had his best week. Uh, Jan Gomes had a good week. Uh, you know, maybe his best week in two years or something like that. He probably <laughs> had a good week somewhere last season. But, uh, yeah, led by Michael Brantley, guys who hadn't been hitting well hit really well last week, which was nice. Yeah, it's not exactly one of my points, but how great is it to have that, that depth? Like, Lindor and Ramirez both slump, but then... Michael Brantley was good, Edwin was good, and Jan Gomes was not terrible. So there's just this nice balance, and hopefully it lasts all season long. But I do agree. I don't think we're going to see any more worries about uh, Michael Brantley's injuries. If he does slump or whatever, he looks bad. It's just because he's getting old at this point, I guess, what's relatively old. But it's not going to be because he's injured anymore. Michael Brantley's back, and if he has trouble, it's just regular baseball things, not because of his shoulder. At least that's what it feels like so far. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's possible he'll 
you know, he's, he might be more prone to re-injuring it or something like that. I don't know. But it doesn't seem like it's bothering him right now. Uh, I said last week that even on a couple of his hits, just as at-bats didn't look good to me, he swung and missed on some pitches. He never would have swung and missed that in the past, I don't think. Um, I just felt like his his plate coverage, his, his decision-making, uh, everything looked so much better last week, and the results obviously matched. So one of my big takeaways is also sort of Michael Brantley related because when Michael Brantley's at his best, what he does is he's, he's patient with what he hits, and then when he makes hits, he makes really good contact. So uh, the Indians in general, they're just – they're all 2015 Michael Brantley right now, um, or 2015 before the injury, 2014. But uh, the Indians lead the lead in swinging strike percentage, which is to say they have the least amount of swings and misses, uh, overall contact percentage, and lowest outside swing percentage. So they're really picky about what they're hitting, and when they're swinging, they're making good contact. So um, it's really encouraging to see, and that's translated to the fifth lowest strikeout rate, fourth highest walk rate. Uh, Brandon Geyer, Carlos Santana are two of the most patient batters so far, which is Kind of a surprise. Um, not surprised to see that Carlos Santana is one of the names, but just that he had a slow start. And then, of course, Geyer had a slow start. So, But those two have been really patient at the plate. And, of course, Abel Monte, he has already passed his career high for walks. <laughs> In the first month of the season, he's walking a ton. Um, and what brought this on is just that uh, Travis Sochik over at the Athletic Cleveland, if you haven't subscribed to them, you probably already should, but... Uh, he wrote a really good post about how Lindor is finding power in his patience, essentially. Um, that he's not a power hitter. Lindor knows that. He said as such in the article. But Lindor is just being more patient with what he's hitting. He's trying to find more things to drive uh, compared to last season. He's being more, what did he say? He said the, was refining his zone was the, the phrasing that Sajic used. Um, this is that quote, which I thought was really neat, was, in 2015 as a rookie, Lindor swung at 31.9% of pitches outside of the strike zone. He cut that to 29.8% last season. And this season so far is 27.1. Uh, and entering play Thursday, yeah. So he reduced his overall swing rate from 50% in 2015 to 47% last season, 44% this year. He's becoming more selective. So in general, Lindor is a big driving force of this. It's that he's being pickier. Everybody else is. So I don't know if maybe it's a coaching thing because we saw Michael Brantley do it a couple years ago. And then Jose Ramirez did it last season. So somebody somewhere is telling all these guys to, to be more selective. And they have a way to help them do it, I think. It's just overall, the Indians' patience at the plate in the last week has been really encouraging. And I hope it continues. And when they start making better contact and getting those better base hits, it's this offense is going to be insane. Yeah, I mean, with the guys they have, uh, you know, we've already said that, you know, the first couple of weeks, Lindor and Ramirez were really going well, and no one else was looking that great. Uh, and then they cooled off a little bit, but other guys, if at some point there's an extended stretch when the lineup top to bottom is going, uh, that'll be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, and just hopefully that happens at the end of the year again, like it did last year. <laughs> so what's another one of your uh, takeaways for this week? Um, I would also point to the bottom of the rotation having looked better. Um, Tomlin and Bauer both had pretty good games. Uh, Tomlin, six innings, three runs, which isn't fantastic, but it's a, it's a quality start for, for what that's worth. And really, I mean, he gave up a couple runs in the first and then kind of settled in and in, in kind of classic Josh Tomlin fashion. He wasn't striking guys out, but he wasn't giving up walks. Um, you know, I thought he looked good. And Trevor Bauer, you know, also kind of classic Trevor Bauer. He had one really shaky inning, um, maybe lucky to only have given up a couple runs. He fell off the mound at one point to balk a guy in. Uh, but other than that, he looked really good. So the bottom of the rotation, uh, you know, wasn't a concern, but we were talking last week, at least in passing, about, you know, how long, how long, how much rope do these guys have? Could Clevenger come up at some point? How many bad starts would it have to be? And we both said we didn't think anything like that was eminent, but it just felt worth discussing. So it was nice that each of them turned in a good game. Yeah, for sure. I think you said it the best way. It's not a concern. <laughs> it wasn't great. But it's not a big worry anymore, at least after those first couple or those last couple starts. So hopefully that continues. I think Bauer can keep it up. I still am not I'm not a Josh Tomlin hater, but a not big believer in that he can be a great pitcher and maybe can be another back of the rotation guy. But I think eventually Clever's gonna take him over and then uh, but for now, as long as he can be that kind of outing he had last time, he's not gonna go anywhere, I can't imagine. So one of my other ones is which one I wanna go with here? Uh, let's go with how much I'm losing patience with Michael Martinez. <laughs> That's, I get sort of why he's here. He just, just a veteran guy to take up space, but 
as far as a guy taking up space, there has to be better options. He's, he's, I don't need to repeat the stats anymore. I don't think anybody who even remotely follows uh, Cleveland Indians Twitter, they should know just how many people have pointed out how bad he's been. He's one of the worst batters ever, like in Major League Baseball, that have had as many plate appearances as he had. Um, he can technically play a bunch of places on defense, but that's only saying he can stand in those places and be there on defense. So there's just not a lot of value in having him around. I can't imagine there's there's no other good options to take his spot. Even I know you don't do it with young guys, but like Eric Gonzalez isn't necessarily going to be a high ceiling prospect. So what are you saving him for? Have him be the utility guy. He can play a bunch of positions. So I don't know. I am just I'm over the Michael Martinez thing now. It's it's past the joke. It's to the point where <laughs> I just want it to be over. Um, how much do you love Michael Martinez, Jason? Uh, not very much, but he was out hitting Andy Diaz. So when it came time to send someone down, you could see why they chose him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know that you, why you're saying that one. I will say I don't. I don't think it was a bad idea to send Yandy down. I'm not on that train no, to keep Yandy. I'm so. just giving you a hard time. I, I mean, <laughs> I wish the Indians had someone other than Michael Martinez. I guess I'm still just in the the last guy in the bench. No one's banging down the door. I mean, you're you're probably right. Someone like Eric Gonzalez could probably do what he's doing. Uh, but I'm still at the point where it's just sort of, meh, whatever. <laughs> I, I'll say this. I don't want him on the World Series roster again. Well, nothing bad will ever happen if he is in the World Series roster, Jason. He'll never be up, like, in, I don't know, Game 7, bottom of extra innings. With runners on base, it'll never happen. You told me Michael Martinez is on the World Series roster this year. <laughs> I, I would take it because that would mean the Indians are in the World Series. <laughs> I guess I'd rather know the Indians make it back, even if he's on the roster. So, so let's hmm. put a number on it. If the Indians are in the World Series, what what's the percentage chance that Martinez is on that roster? Uh, I'd say pretty low. I'd say like. 10-15%. I was going to go higher. I was going to go like 30-40. I yeah, think if I they're think there, like, he's, he's on it in point, the same capacity that he was before. Yeah, I feel like at that point, whether it's Diaz or someone else, I feel like by then some other option will have appeared. And or Michael Martinez will be batting like 164 in you know 100 plate appearances and Francona will decide it's not worth the hassle anymore. Yeah, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> So what else from you watching these past few games? Um, well, I already mentioned the bottom of the rotation, but it would be a shame to talk about last week and not talk about the top of the rotation. Uh, Kluber, with his, his best game in, in months, uh, with the shutout Friday night against the White Sox, looking really, really good. And then Carrasco Saturday went eight shutout innings after having pitched uh, you know, pretty well in his last game before that against Detroit, too. Um, which was last week, not the week we're talking about. But, yeah, having Kluber and Carrasco pitch a combined 17 shutout innings back-to-back, even against the White Sox, that was pretty awesome to watch and uh, pretty encouraging because Carrasco had already looked good, but Kluber hadn't looked great in his first three starts. So it was nice to see him look like Cy Young winner Corey Kluber. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then Carrasco behind him. It's 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 always encouraging. I don't know. Danny Salazar is still kind of a worry, but having those two be that good back-to-back is it's amazing to see, I think. Um, so, right, let's move on to another amazing player. Uh, Francisco Lindor, the Indians. Apparently, I don't know. It came out of nowhere, as far as I know. It was kind of a side note in a Tom Perducci article. Uh, he mentioned the Cleveland Indians tried to extend the contract of shortstop Francisco Lindor before opening day. But not even dangling what one source said was a package around $100 million did the trick. Um, Paul Hoynes couldn't confirm it was $100 million, But apparently Brody Chernoff, if you remember, <laughs> earlier this season, he said the, the Indians are trying to extend him. So apparently he was right. Of course he was right because why would the Indians not want to do it? But um, the Indians have a history of extending players like this. Jose Ramirez did it in the offseason. Five years, $26 million for him. They did it with Kluber and Carrasco. So it's clear the Indians want to do something. But if they want to do it with Lindor, apparently it's going to take just a absurd amount of money and i can't imagine why not why francisco lindor would not want that much money he's going to be worth it so are you worried at all about um the prospect of extending lindor does it look like it's impossible now or is it just there's plenty of time for both sides i think there's plenty of time i think uh you know one he's got some sort of endorsement deal with new balance that's probably paying him pretty well uh at least enough that he's not like worried about his financial position uh, so, you know, I, I, 
I understand why guys sign a deal when they're, you know, this far out from free agency just to kind of, you know, set for life money. Um, but you are you are really hedging your bets. And it's a pretty financially conservative move to sign an extension this early because you have to give up so much money over what you could get if you just keep playing somewhere close to the way you have. Um, you know, he waits he, he waits a year and the, the dollar figure on the extension goes up a lot. So I don't think it means, you know, that as soon as he can, he's leaving Cleveland. Uh, for And on a side note, but probably worth mentioning, he's not a free agent until after 2021. So, you know, including this season, the Indians have him for five more years unless they send him away, which is a long, long time. Uh, I know we all want him to be in an Indian jersey a lot longer than that. Um, I don't know. I just can't convince myself that I should chicken little the sky is falling myself over this. Uh, you know, for I want him on the Indians' sake, I would love for them to work something out with him because it would have been a really team-friendly deal. And fans are, are really drawn to team-friendly deals because we want our favorite teams to have good players. Uh, generally, though, without getting too much into what this means, I'm more of a pro-labor guy than a pro-management guy. So I'm not going to begrudge a, begrudge a player for betting on himself and you know, and knowing he can get a lot more money down the line if he just waits. Yeah, for sure. Uh, going back to an earlier point you said about um, Lindor's – he's not going anywhere until 2021, which is – it's basically the Indians' window. That's what they have most of the guys signed through. At most, it's like 2023 or 20, 2022 or 2023. So if they extend him, it's to bridge the gap to the next core. So as far as winning a championship now, I don't think it it's hinging on re-signing Francisco Lindor to a longer deal. He's going to be here as long as the Indians are competing with the group they have now. I think that's a really big thing to kind of cool the worries of Indians fans. I get wanting to keep him around forever. I want him around forever. He's going to just cost so much money. And and like you said, I, there's there's nothing wrong with him betting on himself. I do always mention like when people say how greedy the players are, they want more money. Where do you think that money's going to go if it doesn't go to players? It's not going to like go to charity or make ticket prices go down. It's just going to sit in owners' pockets. So <laughs> I'm I'm with you. I never am against a player wanting to get as much as he can out of an owner, basically. Yeah, and again, like I don't think this at all closes the door on him signing a long-term extension. Um, you know, I've, I've done pretty well with kind of like ballpark estimating what extensions might look like uh, when Kluber signed his and uh, some of the other guys. I feel like I have a pretty good track record of that. That said, uh, I thought if the Indians could work something out, it would be for less than this. Um, and I, I definitely underestimated, uh, you know, what it would probably take. But again, he's, you know, he's not even eligible for arbitration for a couple more years. And the closer he gets to that, the higher the dollar figures have to be. So, you know, maybe they offered seven years, you know, close to 100 million. And next offseason, they're going to offer six years, you know, 120 million. And if he waits two more years, then they're going to offer, you know, six years, 140 million. And at that point, you know, we start to get into, well, can the Indians actually afford that? I don't know. A lot of that probably depends on what the next couple seasons look like. Um, you know, if ticket sales are good this year, they make the postseason and get more revenue from that. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't think it's just because they've never signed a player like that before. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they could sign him to a long-term deal worth $150 million. Um, and, you know, on his end, I think that's still a viable option for another year or two. You know, if, if 2019 you know, opening day rolls around and he hasn't signed an extension by then, then I'll start to think he's probably not going to. Uh, but there'll still be three more years with him. I'd rather just enjoy watching Lindor and enjoy watching this really good Indians team than worry about what might happen five years from now or, you know, four and a half years from now if they feel like they have to trade him or something. That'd suck. You know, it, it sucks watching your favorite team trade away good players because they don't think they can afford to keep them. But I don't know. If the Indians were crappy right now, maybe I'd be more prone to dwelling on that. But I just want to enjoy the baseball. Yeah, I'm with I'm with you on that. I, I think it's interesting the 
the deal that he has with what well, I think it's New Balance, right? That he yep. he doesn't need that assurance money. <laughs> I do wonder yep. how much that went into it. There's he's got to be making close to this, maybe. I've heard like doesn't Peyton Manning didn't he make more from deals than he did um, like his actual contracts? <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, and Lindor's not going to have a deal like Peyton Manning, and but he's I'm sure he's making more money from New Balance than he is from the Indians this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, LeBron James makes substantially more money from Nike than he does from the Cavs. And, like, ultimately, LeBron James works for Nike more than he works for the Cavs. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so that just might be, like, Lindor's future. He just The money that he gets from teams is just icing on the top of all the brand deals he's going to get. Well, he's going to get I mean, a lot of brand deals. I, I think eventually he'll make more as a baseball player than as a spokesperson because I don't think the endorsement money for baseball players is anything close to what it is for, say, Peyton Manning or LeBron James. But right now, while he's making basically the league minimum, uh, yeah, the endorsement money is enough to make him feel like, eh, I don't need to, I don't need to commit to a long-term deal now and you know be giving up something like forty-plus million dollars because I wasn't willing to wait a little bit. Yeah, for sure. You can't blame him, like just for one extra little bit. So our last thing we'll touch on before we get to um, our interview with Crawfish Boxes managing editor Ryan Dunsmore. Let's talk about an article that you've pointed out quite a bit as someone who hasn't exactly been on the Andy Diaz train um, and about uh, changing his swing pattern. Jordan Bastian posted a, blog, a long, lengthy blog post about how essentially the Indians are not going to do any – and they're not going to make Yandy Diaz tinker with a swing at all uh, for, as far as like getting the ball up, launch angle, all that good stuff. And Michael Brantley actually – He's just said straight up, I don't believe in the launch angle. When you when you say launch angle to me, it means nothing. It means getting the barrel to the baseball. That's all I believe in. Launch angle is a byproduct of a good swing, which in a way I sort of agree with him. I don't I don't think players necessarily have to believe in it. It just it just happens as a way we can see it happening. I think is the important thing. Um, but yeah, let's. So what do you think of this? Are are you glad the Indians aren't going to force them to change anything? Do you do you agree with Brantley's thoughts on it? Just it was really nice um, fashion, I think. I mean, I, I agree with the Indians not wanting him to tinker with the swing because they know a whole lot more than I do. And it's not that they think he's ready or that he, w- you know, he wouldn't be back in AAA. Um, but, you know, what they said, that, uh, you know, Brantley's quote about launch angles of byproducts of a good swing, the, the front office and, you know, the, the coaching staff people who were interviewed for the same article basically said the same stuff. And, you know, they know a lot more. That's the kind of thing, like, I'm almost always going to defer to a coach on just because I, I, I can't pretend I know that stuff. When people on Let's Go Tribe in the comments were talking, or, there, you know, someone, I don't remember which of the guys merit maybe, you know, wrote an article pointing out that I think Daniel Murphy and Josh Donaldson were the two guys he pointed to who kind of changed their swing plane and saw the results dramatically improve. And those are fantastic examples. But I asked is that like an easy thing to do? Like we have these great examples, but how many guys try to change their swing and screw things up and make things worse or, you know, don't really see a change. And I, I mean, I didn't expect them to know, but I don't know. Um, you know, Diaz isn't ready. Uh, you know, he needs to make some adjustments, but I don't know that, you know, his swing is what that needs to be. The coaching staff, you know, it's his pitch recognition, uh, and that sort of stuff, and I defer to them. Uh, I do want to just pause to say, again, I mean, the, the article, the, the blog post, I guess it is considered a blog post, even though he's the beat writer. It's posted somewhere separately. Yeah, it's on his uh, blog. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, you're a big enough Indians fan, you're probably already following their big beat writers and stuff. But if you're not following Jordan Bastian on Twitter and reading his stuff, um, he's everything you could hope for from a team's beat writer. Um, really, really smart guy who makes really good use of the access he has. You know, the, among other differences between what he does and say what I do is the fact that like he's actually talking to players and coaches and stuff. But a lot of times, I feel like guys use that to get you know cliche quotes and stuff like that. But you know, he comes up with really interesting things he wants to look into and then asks good questions. Um, I was so impressed with this. You know, I shared it on Facebook, on Twitter. We're talking about it now. Um, in addition to just what's up with Yandy Diaz and how much does Lance angle and stuff like that matter, uh, just to plug Jordan's work because he's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I'd extend that to like more Indians beat writers too. They're like TJ Zoop and Zach Mizell. There's a bunch of really good writers Indians have 
I don't know if that's all over because I don't really follow any other team, but maybe they're just really lucky. I mean, they have Paul Hoynes and Tony Grossi, which are kind of the old school, not exactly great analysis writers. <laughs> but then they have like the Mizells and the, the Jordan Bashans. So Indians fans are really lucky all around, I think. Um, but what else? Like and I would also say you're right that I have not really been on the Yandy Diaz train, but that's not that I don't think he can be a good player. I just didn't expect him to be a good player this season. Uh, mm. I certainly think he becomes one. I think he can become one. Uh, you know, when I talked about Michael Martinez not being on the roster if they make the World Series, you know, I think by the end of this season, you know, Diaz kind of, you know, made some improvements and stuff like that. I think he can get there. I just, and I think it's pretty clear right now he's not there yet. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things that we'll see out of all the StatCast data is how easy – it will answer your question eventually. Like, how easy can you just change your swing? Because if it's easy as just aiming up a little bit, everybody would do it. So, I mean, Diaz has had this problem with power in the minors for so long that maybe it's just a thing. Like, you can't – it's not as easy as just aiming up a little bit more. I think we'll be able to see with StatCast as many players um, – seeing their launch angle not change, like, you can't just do it as easy as it sounds. And we'll be right. able to see it more. And instead of just saying, like, this player is is hitting the ball up more, we'll be able to see it in the data, and we'll be able to see that you can't just change it quite as easily. Or maybe you can. Who knows? Maybe the baseball will all kind of look like the same players after a while, which I think will be kind of boring. But we'll see, which is which is the good thing about having more data. You can never have too much um, as long as you're not going crazy with it, I guess. So, yeah, Jason, uh, we're going to take a quick break here. We'll be back with um, the Crawfish Boxes managing editor, Ryan Dunsgrove. Or Ryan Dunsmore. Stick around. And welcome back. We are joined now by managing editor of Crawfish Boxes, SB Nation's Houston Astros blog, Ryan Dunsmore. Ryan, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Um, we were just talking a minute ago off air about how this is kind of one of those series where this is something that we could see kind of a rematch down the line, playoffs, um, all kinds of implications here. One of those rare, really exciting April series, I think. Is that kind of the general feeling with Astros fans too? You know, I, I think Astros fans right now are just content with having a good April after 2016 and how hard they fell on their face right at the beginning of the year and just not being able to recover from that. They're just enjoying having a very productive April period. Uh, this would just be icing on the cake if they're successful in this series. So one of the, the the aspects that was kind of a, as you put it, falling on the face of themselves last year was kind of Dallas Keuchel. He didn't have a great start. I uh, didn't. He didn't end up great at the end of the year. But this year, holy cow, Dallas Keuchel. Um, I mean, how important is his rebound? I mean, he's like, what is it, seventy percent ground ball bait right now? I mean, he's that's kind of the key to the Astros winning the World Series, don't you think? If they can do it. Absolutely. I mean, if the, if the, the current construction of the roster, if you don't say they, they, they take somebody from the AL Central and, and Jose Quintana or something like that and inject him with another starting pitcher into this rotation, I think Dallas Keuchel is basically their one one major chip right now in that starting rotation that is, has any level of experience. And the reason he's been more successful is he's just been able to keep the ball down. He, he said during spring training that he kind of didn't feel healthy all last year and that he may have had to some level of lingering injury or just kind of gassed after that Cy Young season uh, that really affected him all year. And it's good to see him back to where for it's not anything particular special he's doing more, just signing back to the old Dallas Keuchel and back to what he was doing in that Cy Young season. So um, one thing I don't like that you mentioned in there is <laughs> the Astros getting Jose Altuve, or uh, not Jose Altuve, uh, Jose Quintana. Um, weren't they one of the teams in the offseason, I think, inquiring about that? Is there kind of a feeling they might be still going after him? Because that, as an Indians fan, is terrifying. <laughs> well, I mean, that's uh, – well, I mean, wouldn't it, at the same time, wouldn't it, wouldn't it make a more of a, the White Sox even more of a doormat? Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> It would, uh, and that's always fun to beat up on the White Sox. So that's true. Well, I mean, they have been someone that they've really been – it feels like there's there's that easy narrative that the, the national media is like, hey, what's the clear hole in the Astros roster? And they'll say, oh, it's starting pitching. Well, who's one of the best pitchers still available? Well, that's probably the, the short list is very short depending on who you think is still a contender and who's not. Uh, Gray from the Athletics and Archer from the Rays seems like the other two guys you talk about, but Jose Quintana seems like the prime candidate for being traded. And the Astros are a team that still has a lot of prospects. Uh, it, I think it really came down to the asking price was almost similar to what they did ask for sale. And the Astros simply aren't going to do that when they have three or four guys that are very, very uh, coveted and almost to the point of untouchable. Just that, that, that I, I, I could see it happening. It's just I don't think that the asking price has to come down. 
Yeah, for, I, th- I think that was a general reason they didn't trade him is that they're so bent on getting exactly what they got for Chris Sale or even like Adam Eaton, who was another big trade they got. So it's probably not mm-hmm. going to happen. Um, I want him to go to the NL. <laughs> I don't want to face him as long as possible. He's beat up on the Indians enough over his career. Yeah. Um, so a player who who looks kind of familiar to Indians fans is Jose Altuve. Uh, the Indians have their own sort of not quite as small because nobody's as small as him. Uh, but Jose Ramirez is another little player who generates power. But just how does Jose Altuve get that much power out of that little of a man? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. He's had like 20 home runs a couple years ago. Um, I think he's had a couple more this year. So is it just the way he swings? Or is it just he's got huge muscles? What is it about Altuve that lets him generate so much power and also be so fast and so small on the bases? You know, I think that I think one of the things he, he talks a lot about when, as he's become more of a star and become more of a a talking point for everyone is that he's talked about how he, as he was growing up, was really really worked so hard in his hand eye coordination to the point of he was he was doing one of those uh, uh, South American baseball things where they were hitting a bay bottle cap with a, a broomstick and wow. he would do that every every day and that got to where he was able to do that with regularity. And it kind of translated to on top of his amount of effort. I, I I don't know what the magic trick is. I feel like there has been a lot of trend of, of smaller players hitting the ball harder these past few seasons. It's something maybe I've been trying to look into, but I haven't really found quite uh, exactly what it is. But I would say it's it's mostly effort with Jose Altuve, and I'm <laughs> sure that's not a not a surprise for anyone that watches Jose Altuve. But I mean, that's what you see from him is genuine. That is, uh, he was sent home. Uh, on the first scouting day uh, for the Astros training or whatever it is, sign, uh, come try to try to be a prospect with in uh, in Venezuela, and they sent him home after the first day, and he still showed back up the second day, and basically won a contract. So it, it's something that's translated throughout his time with the Astros. Is he's always going to make himself better, and he's been able to hit, he's been able to steal bases, he's been able to do everything every other aspect. He added power last year. So it's really it's really the next step for him. So Jose Altuve is off to a great start, obviously, but there's there's a couple Astros players who maybe aren't. Uh, one of them is Carlos Beltran. Uh, how long of a leash does he have? Is there any worry that he might not live up to that sixteen million dollar contract he signed? Uh, so far this year, he's slashing two fifty seven, two eighty eight, three eighty six. He does have two home runs, but kind of a slow start for Beltran. Is there any worry at all about him from Astros fans? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's not it, it's not something that I'm too freaked out about right now because I feel like there is some level of easing him in and kind of making sure he's healthy at the end of the season is kind of more the goal. I, I think really where he's paying his most dividends are him and Brian McCann being able to be that veteran presence that I think you saw the Astros get to their potential peak in 2015 with the, the young player, the young core saying, Hey, this is how good we can be. Well, that 2016 team stayed the same and didn't have any of these veteran pieces. Well, the 2017 roster has these two, Guys, they brought in are really one of the most uh, biggest clubhouse presence that they possibly could add into in, in an off season, and I think that's really what their value is: is saying, "Hey, guys, this is how you do it. This is how you move to the next step." So, yes, I would love to have Carlos Beltran be a forty-year-old wonder, uh, but I'm more I'm more interested in him just getting into somebody's ear and, and saying, "Hey, this is the this is the next step you need to take." So maybe this one is the easiest softball question of ever but how worried about you are or how worried are you about carlos correa <laughs> i'm sure you're just super worried right you know uh i i i will tell you something i am not worried but i want to give you <laughs> an anecdote of just where people's heads are right now uh i believe carlos correa is dating someone that is miss puerto rico whatever he is from i, I forget she has got some sash title and uh and someone basically said, you need to drop this girlfriend <laughs> and get your mind back on baseball. And I'm just like, so he's just supposed to not have a, a social life. This oh, yeah, he's got to be in a bubble. This, he can't have friends or anything. <laughs> clearly, this is the problem. This is, you know, this is, uh, you know, it's I, I, he's he is still an extremely young player that played through the World Baseball Classic, did not go through a full spring training. I'm not surprised that his season hasn't started right off a, right off on track, but I'm not surprised or I'm not, won't be surprised at all when he comes back and still has an MVP like season, at least something that's, that's a, uh, uh, Uber, uh, shortstop level play that you, that maybe Indians fans might know a little bit about. <laughs> Speaking of uh, just these two super shortstop prospects, um, 
kind of a contentious subject for Indians fans. I want to know from an Astros fan, did Carlos Correa deserve to win the 2015 Rookie of the Year, or should it have been Lindor? Why, why you got why are you causing drama? <laughs> I got to do it. Come, why, on. Why, Come on, say the right one. Yes, a- absolutely. <laughs> no. Yes. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why anyone thinks otherwise. Of yes, absolutely. <laughs> that there was it was a toss up, but I mean, really, when he came in, came up there, the Astros would not have made the playoffs if Carlos Correa wasn't there. And that's not a simple act of production. He was g- a genuine injection of life into that roster in that 2015 season. And it's just as much as production on the field. Sadly, these awards are, are just as much a narrative as well. I see that now. As, and I, I only bring this up because I do all these different espionation sites. And, and, and James Harden is feeling that same aspect with the MVP award. He's, he doesn't have the same storyline. So it's, I, I think I wouldn't have been mad at all if Lindor won, it that, won the award. It's just he didn't have the sexy storyline. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. And I've also kind of thought just the, like, if Lindor and Correa are going to be pretty close in voting, it's going to be whoever has more home runs is going to, like, break it most of the time, I think. And that's probably going to mm-hmm. mostly be Correa, I would think. So there's going to be quite and a Lind- few more of these arguments in the future, which is a good thing. We both have really, really great shortstops to watch. And Lindor's going to win the first MVP between the two, so why, why worry about that? <laughs> but still, he should have had that one trophy. 20 years later, it's going to be people in retirement homes arguing about it. <laughs> Oh, I, I would love to see the cross-section where there's the retirement home with Astros and Indians fans. <laughs> Maybe just like somewhere in what's what's between the two states, like, I don't know, Kentucky or something down there. Just mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll find the one random random Astros fan outside of the state of Texas. It'll be good. <laughs> are Astro fans not really, are they not, they don't travel well? Is it, I guess I don't know any up here. I'm all the way to New York, so. Let me put it this way, is this, there's not. Houston is a very unique, well diverse metropolitan city that gets everybody, and that includes a ton of snowbirds. So there's not there's there is a good fan base with all Houston sports, but is there's so many things to do in this city, and there's so many different things going on, and it's a sport that's not football, so uh, occasionally it can get lost. That makes sense. I think that happens in Cleveland too. I think it happens everywhere with football. If you have a big football team and also a baseball team that isn't like the Yankees or the Cubs or something, right? There isn't. There isn't one of those. Uh, mm-hmm. One of those. Oh, basically, baseball. I think in, in a way is affected by how the old stretch of fans that have that grew up listening to on radio, where there's like five teams that were always nationally broadcast, and they really haven't gotten out of that rut. If you look at it. In a global scale, it's like you still think it's the the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Cubs, Cardinals. Uh, I mean, even Red Sox, Phillies. Maybe just the, those East Coast teams kind of all all uh, take the main brunt of it when it, when you have teams that are being so successful, like the Indians. Yeah, for sure. So, what do you think um, with this young core the Astros have? Uh, what are the chances they can get like those kind of fans to just over the years? So basically how long is their window to win with this core? Is it going to be like into the 2020s you think, or is it kind of closing quicker or what do you think? How long can they win no, for the world series? I think that's one of the biggest things with Jeff Luno is his goal is to create as big a window as possible. He's the architect of that Cardinals window that we're just seeing the end of, I mean, possibly seeing the end of, I mean, not necessarily the most or the, the, uh, the, the downturn of competitive necessarily not necessarily world world championship quality with the Cardinals. And, and that's kind of, you see that with being Luno being out of system, but taking that to the Astros, it's very rare to have such a, a level kind of major league roster and still have a top 10 minor league system with a lot of different, in a lot of different positions They're not necessarily top heavy on one aspect or another overall in the system. So his goal is to always make it that window as large as possible, not necessarily go for the home runs. That's probably why you would see, uh, you would have seen Chris Bryant be on this roster instead of Mark Appel a few years ago in the draft. And just imagine what that roster looks like if you're going for the home runs. Yeah, it's not a sore subject at all. Um, <laughs> I so yeah, tell there's the, none at all there. <laughs> so the window I think is really as long as any team in the majors right now, and that's and that's not just slight against any other team. It's just that's Jeff Luna's plan is to try to keep as many cost-effective players as possible and have the option in the future. So the Astros are a pretty healthy team as far as 
I, as an outsider, can tell, other than George Springer's hamstring injury. So how serious is that? When can we expect him back? Are, are ready supposed to be back sometime in this series? Is that I think that's a pretty accurate timetable, or maybe a little um, longer? He's what? he's trying to play as early as tomorrow as tomorrow as we're recording this on Monday night here. Um, he's uh, he broke he had the longest active streak uh, 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 playing in games here that just got broken on Sunday against the Rays. So his goal is to get back as soon as possible. Um, I expect him to maybe sit out one more game, but I definitely see him back as early as early as possible. The Astros are also dealing with having their best outfielder out already, but they also have their best defensive outfielder out with Jake Marisnik, who also has a concussion. So uh, there's a, there's a some level of concern here of not necessarily having a full arsenal in the outfield defense. Is there a general feeling that the Astros could run away with the AL West? Or just what's the confidence level of Astros fan? Are the Rangers they they won it last year, but they're kind of a volatile team. They they sort of win at the end of games. It's not a real consistent way to win for the Rangers. The Angels have Mike Trout, but that's that's pretty much it. The Mariners are just a total mess. So, what are the thoughts of the Ranger or the Astros fans? Is it pretty confident they can win the division, or cautiously optimistic, or what? Absolutely. I mean, I think I feel like that that that. Um, they have the lineup that's arguably one of the best in the American League. They've got two starting pitchers they really trust and a lot of very good high-floor high, high floor arms, not necessarily the sexiest arms in the world in the rotation, and one of the best bullpens in the American League. The The chickens have come home to roost for the Rangers, and they've already kind of hit that where they've been one of the luckiest teams the last two seasons, and I don't say that as a slight towards them. Everything is kind of broken there though against them to start April for the most part. If that trend continues, they'll probably look a lot like the 2016 Astros, which will not put them in the playoffs. <laughs> and the Mariners haven't exactly lit, lit the world on fire so far, and a lot of their the moves haven't really seemed to pan out thus far. And, and you're right, the Angels are basically Mike Trout and a bunch of uh, bunch of castoffs. Uh, and, and so, yeah, right now it feels like this is the catbird seat, uh, and definitely definitely going to be not necessarily a runaway, but but comfortable. Uh, and I say that, and that's the, the, probably the feeling the Astros, even Astros fans, optimistic were very optimistic going into 2015, thinking, "Hey, we're we're right in this." And then you go go have a 10 game streak where you're losing every almost every game, and you fall into having to fight for a wild card spot. So, um, cautiously optimistic kind of falls into that uh, where I am right now. But but right now it feels like of any division, I feel like the Astros are kind of the front runner, the, the best front runner of anybody right now. So Ryan, last question I'm going to ask is one that. I always ask all of our, whenever we have other managing editors or any kind of writer from another team on, it's just, there's always a different scenario, but let's just assume here, the Indians, they're ready to pay you an insurmountable amount of money just to tell them the one thing that the Indians can do to beat the Astros this series. I don't know why they want to give you so much money to win one series, but just imagine they are, you're going to be our spy on the inside of the Astros. So what are you going to tell them for a ton of money? And if, and if you're wrong, they're not going to pay you. So there's no lying <laughs> here. You have to tell the Indians how to beat the Astros over this next series. What are you going to tell them? Uh, make sure your uh, starting pitching is really effective because the Astros have found a way to really bull up bullpens of late. Uh, more than half their victories so far this season have come have been come from behind. Uh, so you're going to have to get get against. You're going to have to be successful against the pitchers that aren't named Dallas Keuchel and Lance McCullers, and then you're going to have to find a way to make sure you don't use your bullpen as much as possible. So just be good against Dallas Keuchel. No big no no big hurdle there. Nothing difficult. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. No, I, yeah. I mean, the, the just it's the 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 difference this year has felt like you, you're seeing this lineup be so successful against it, just basically make adjustments in the game and actually show like an extra level of being a professional hitter. I've never seen this team have before, and I I, I I I hate to chalk it up to adding two veterans to the lineup, but it just feels like those at least Brian McCann. Has been thus far been been had a ton of key hits so far for RBIs. Um, you just really have to survive with your starting pitching and, and really make. And of course, the, the Indians have that kind of. So it's it's a team that's well equipped to face the Astros. I think. Yeah, as far as fighting the narrative of signing a veteran, I tried that last year with Mike Napoli all season long. But eventually, you just kind of have to give in that. Okay, he he helped. <laughs> I mean, just having that veteran guy, I think it does do something. And maybe the the Astros are seeing that this year and. They're a really fun team all along. Um, I'm excited to see this series and the other series the Indians play against. So maybe in the playoffs, it's going to be great. So, so Ryan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Where can everybody find you? Uh, you can find us over at crawfishboxes.com. You can find me over at 
uh, D underscore MRE55 on Twitter uh, for my account. You can uh, check me out over at the Dream Shake uh, for the uh, Rockets SB Nation site and also Battle Red Blog for the Texans uh, SB Nation site as well. Well, thank you, Ryan. Everybody else, stick around. We're going to be back answering your questions, and we'll wrap up the show. All right, and I am back now. I say I because Jason had to run the middle of the interview, so it'll just be me for the rest of the show concluding here. We don't have a whole lot left, but thank you, Ryan Dunsmore from the Crawfish Boxes for um, previewing the Astros. It's hard to hard to really know other teams, so I always like getting on the other managing editors or writers from other teams, so hope you guys enjoy that. It's always fun to hear from people who are really into other teams and hearing the other the minute things you can go. I assume like people covering the Indians, it's always just kind of, hey, Lindor is really good. Hey, Kluber is really good, and then there's not a whole lot of extra analysis so i want to i want to kind of get like our perspective of another team sort of thing so so thank you ryan for coming on that should be a good series i'm sure we'll see them in the playoffs eventually um if not this year over several other years so so let's set some of your questions here there weren't a whole lot this year but they're kind of interesting ones i would say (laughs) no real hard-hitting statistical questions but you guys always ask really nice stuff you can always find us on twitter and facebook um, it was asked every Monday if you guys want to send us anything. You can always email us at SBN, let's go tribe at gmail.com. We'll grab your question, answer it live on the air. Uh, first one is at tribe codes. He wants to know, can we excommunicate all of those that are still screaming, crying about Lindor, not signing a 99 year deal for half the national debt? Um, <laughs> yes. If you don't want Lindor to sign a deal that's less than 99 years of the national debt, then maybe chill out a little bit. The, the, the Indians are not going to pay him a bazillion gajillion dollars they're going to pay him quite a bit because he deserves it but there's no sense in sinking your franchise over a really really great shortstop as good as he is um and also like me and jason talked about earlier we can we understand lindor wanting as much as he can get out of a team i think everybody's in the right here nobody's in the wrong the indians have a right to not pay one player three-fourths of their entire salary and lindor has the right to get as much money as he can and he is also set for life pretty much on that new balance deal whatever other deals he gets he's going to be the face of the sport he knows it uh, the indians know it um it's sooner or later if they don't already know it indians fans are going to know it yeah there's, there's no sense crying over the fact that he hasn't signed an extension yet and he still could that's the other important thing there's still time as jason said earlier the longer he waits the more money he's going to get so it's it behooves lindor to wait and it's fine for the indians to wait as well um at man van one on Twitter, he wants to know, crystal ball or best guest, assuming no injuries, what does the four-man rotation look like after the break? Who is the five-spot guy? Thanks. So yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't think the Indians are ever going to go with really a four-man rotation. It's going to be five. Um, I, I can't imagine it changing. As you said, if I'm assuming no injuries, I can't. There's no way it's not going to be uh, Kluber, Carrasco, Salazar at the top. Danny Salazar would have to get really bad to be pulled. I think even Trevor Bauer, he would have to be really bad to be pulled. Um Tomlin, if he has a few more starts like he did last time, maybe he's there for the whole season. I don't know. But at some point, I think Mike Clevenger is going to be the number five guy or the spot start guy. I don't think it's going to be Tomlin in the long term. If they make the playoffs, I don't think it's going to be Tomlin. Uh, That'll be a four-man rotation, of course. So at the very least, assuming no injuries, Kluber, Carrasco, Salazar, and Bauer for the top four. The fifth one is up for grabs between like Tomlin or Clevenger, maybe even Ryan Merritt if he kind of bounces back or... I don't know, Adam Plutko, he's kind of on the edge there. But but yeah, the top four is pretty much set. It's not going to change too much. At Margot Maurer on Twitter, she wants to know, it seems like 2017 Lindor is often missing the signature smile. Last year, smiling Lindor equals success on the field for everyone. Any thoughts? So I don't know, Margot, where you're going with this. Are you implying that the Indians aren't having success right now? Because they kind of are. Uh, they've been really good, especially Lindor. If you're saying that Lindor hasn't been good this year, I would like you to take a minute and sit down and Google Francisco Lindor Fangraphs and look over that page and just sort of absorb all the numbers you see because he has been amazing. Um, I haven't noticed the lack of smiles. He was really angry that one game. But even then, after his second or the the Rangers game where he made a a really crucial error, he was really angry for a while. He hit that first home run. There was no smile, but he was smiling in the Grand Slam. So Lindor is smiling. The Indians are doing well. Um, I don't know. Maybe we need a metric to track Francisco Lindor smiles. But yes, I'm sure his smiles are tied to the success of the Indians. Because if he's having fun, I said this last year when Napoli was here, that I feel like the Indians are not lacking veteran leadership. Because Lindor, even though he's young, he is sort of a leader on the team already. Um, even if it's not like rallying everybody, they, they follow his example and just how he plays the game. He's already an example at like 23 or 24 years old. I can't remember what he is. But 
he's already an example of how to play the game of baseball, and he's going to continue that. So, smiling Lindor is always good. I will always advocate for Lindor to smile more. I will advocate for everybody to smile more when they're playing baseball. And finally, a question we kind of already addressed, but it's worth pointing out that more people want to know at SSS Josh Nelson. Um, if you guys remember, what was it last podcast? I think we previewed the White Sox with him. Maybe it was two ago, but. Josh Nelson over at Southside Sox. He wants to know, what is the point of Michael Martinez? I don't know. Do you know? Because I don't. <laughs> we talked about it earlier. He's bad on offense. He's bad on defense. He can just sort of stand in places. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess he's there because they don't want to waste a roster. Sp- they don't want to just waste away a prospect not playing a whole lot. But, I mean, Eric Gonzalez, he could, he could do it better. He doesn't have exactly a high ceiling anyway. Let him be the utility guy. I don't know. I guess Tito just likes him. I mean, at this point, if... If they can get to the World Series with him, they can get to the World Series with a lot of things with him. So, yeah. I don't know. Oh, Margot's clarifying her things in the comments. Thank you, Margot. She said, it doesn't seem like they're having fun. That seemed important last year. I don't know. I guess that they're, they're, they're kind of having fun. I think part of you're remembering the fun parts of the playoffs and everybody's having fun there. I think everybody's having plenty of fun now, I would think. I don't know. It's an interesting thing. I think the Indians do need to have fun to win. That's important. I think everybody does. Um, the more you win, I, I think it comes the other way around, though. I think if you win, you have fun. It's not that you have fun and then you win. It's kind of, I was on the side of chemistry comes from winning, not you need chemistry to win. So I think they're having fun. I think Lindor is having fun. I can't imagine him doing anything and not smiling, at least on the inside, if he's not smiling on the outside. But I'll keep a closer eye on that. I want to see if Lindor is smiling as much as he was last year. Maybe it's Kipnis. Maybe he missed Jason Kipnis because those two are always buddy-buddy on the field. So. Maybe more smiling Francisco Lindor will lead to more smiling Kipnis, which will lead to more winning. We will find out. But that is all the questions we have this week. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. As I said at the top of the show, please consider subscribing on iTunes, YouTube, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast. I can't think of anywhere else we are, but we are all over the place. We upload this everywhere. It means a lot to us. Leave a review somewhere. It helps people find us. Um, thank you, and we'll talk to you again next week. Oh, it's never been to the rise of the you fall.